The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, May 23rd, and I have a horrible voice, so please bear with it today. At this hour, buying into the New York City real estate market may be one of the biggest investments you will ever make. Think of another time you might drop a few hundred thousand or millions of dollars on the table and get a loan for a few thousand, a few hundred thousand dollars more. You can't. It's a very, very large investment. Also at this hour, in the midst of a record $43 billion construction boom, New York City is officially the most expensive construction market in the world. Why is that? We are going to discuss that. Plus, the panel is here for Hot Topics, but first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. I am your host, Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, the number today Today is one 472 right, so the heads of Manhattan's two largest residential brokerages have very different ideas when it comes to deploying cash. While Douglas Elliman plasters its logo on seats at Madison Square Garden and shells out on costs related to its expansion into markets like Los Angeles and Aspen, the Cochrane Group, backed by public company Realogy, has taken a more conservative approach to investment. This is also true of its new development business, where it prefers to assign dedicated on-site salespeople to new developments rather than giving them over to star resale brokers as a recruiting or retention tool. Those issues came under the microscope last Monday as the company's CEOs, Elements Howard Lorber and Corcoran's Pam Lieberman, faced off as part of the Real Deal's annual New York Showcase and Forum. The brokerage chiefs traded burns and compliments throughout the 45-minute debate and each took pains to defend their business strategies. As for handing out new development to resale brokers, Pam said agents shouldn't necessarily think of the projects as golden tickets. New development, she says, is not so easy. What do you think? That you just show up and they give you a big check? It's not a gift that Howard is giving someone. They have to work hard. The two executives also sounded off on some big issues facing the market, including rise of venture capital back brokerage Compass, with which both their firms have lacked locked horns rather over broker poaching. Competition between all brokerages in New York City is strong and has oh and always will be, so let's stay tuned for that. Meatpacking district landlords are cheering a a $15.4 million city project that will soon begin to restore the neighborhood's cobblestone streets and move property owners say will further boost the area's growing residential and retail markets. 
Later this month, the Department of Design and Construction will begin replacing water mains and installing catch basins to improve drainage on West 14th Street, West 13th Street, Little, West 12th, and Gansevoort Streets. The agency plans to refurbish the historic cobblestone paved roads, which have suffered from years of scant maintenance and patchwork repairs that have left them uneven and littered with potholes. Landlords say that the work will enhance the neighborhood's appeal, relieve traffic congestion caused by poor road surfaces, and make crossings less treacherous uh, for shoppers and office tenants. This work is long overdue. It will tie the district together with a common, beautiful streetscape. Now that he's uh, the co-host of ABC's live chat show based in New York City, Ryan Seacrest has decided to call a swanky Upper East Side townhouse home. The Daily Mail has learned Seacrest is renting a six-bedroom townhouse in Lenox Hill, just a block away from Central Park for $75,000 per month. Yes, that's $75,000 per month. Measuring 11,000 square feet, this house was built in 1879 but underwent a Michael Chen architect-led renovation, which wrapped up earlier this year. Some of the standout features of the townhouse include the master suite, which spans the entire third floor, six wood-burning fireplaces, a roof garden with outdoor seating, an elevator that services all six floors of the building along with the roof, and a skylit installation by well-known visual artist Sarah Oppenheimer. The owner of the house purchased the building in 2011 for $11.5 million, just $1 million below its ask at the time. As Luxury Listings New York City notes, Seacrest Rental is just a short distance away from his co-host, Kelly Ripa's townhouse, which she purchased along with her husband, Mark Consuelos, for $27 million in 2013. Wow, the prices of these houses just keep going up. It's it's incredible. Um, but it's nice to see that he's got um, some living space that is worth his $75 million a year contract with ABC this year. So that's quite interesting. Do we know how many kids he has? Six bedrooms. That's a lot. None. Okay. Single. A lot of friends. A lot of friends. Anyway, I'm here with Sean McPeak from Compass and Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Morning, Vince. How's everything? Awesome. Hi, Excellent. Sean. Hey, good to see you, Louise. Well, I'm 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 getting over being sick, and of course, my voice is um, indicative of that. So I'm drinking sexy. hot tea. Yeah, no, that's what they all say. <laughs> but it hurts. Sexy shouldn't hurt, right? Anyway, so if your if your broker has put in an offer on your behalf, and you're already thinking about setting a closing date, not so fast. New York City real estate transactions are sophisticated and require both your broker and real estate lawyer to go through the purchase process with you one step at a time. While this may seem cumbersome and not as expeditious as you would like, the goal is to protect your interest from offer to closing. So the question here is for people out there who may not have done a real estate transaction in New York City but are anticipating what or how long should that process take and quickly or let's briefly discuss what that process is and the reason i bring this up is because people email me all the time when we talk about these things because when you buy a real estate home outside of new york city anywhere in this country the process is completely different it's almost simple like buying a car so what do we do here to make it so complicated well board approval i think is the number one obstacle um, you know, aside from board approval, you have management approval prior to board approval. So uh, that is the main variable, I would say, when you're talking about the length of these transactions. Certainly. I think as advisors and educators and deal makers, I think it's uh, imperative to us to manage people's expectations. Mm-hmm. And for example, I just listed at 1185 Park Avenue, an $18.5 million penthouse. And my owners up front are like, it's May. I'm not closing for tax purposes until January. So when do you introduce that conversation? 
and how do you finesse it? And it's all part of the art of negotiations. And managing people's expectations is, as educators, our top priority. And when people submit offers, you talk about timelines. Like I am in a multiple bidding situation today uh, where they are at least six offers. And I have... You know, I have to queue up the attorney, I have to queue up the buyer on performance, I have to queue up the seller, and I think that is what our expectations, um, the management of our expectations are really important to both our buyers and our sellers, and, and the ultimately for us to be successful. I, I totally agree with um, with both of what you said, but on some level, I think the, the, the level of... Um, uh, emotion is probably a lot more um, fired up, so to speak, in a New York City transaction than it is anywhere else. Because I think the length of the process, and like you said, Sean, and believe me, I've said this many times on this radio show, that the co-op board process, and here we're talking about co-ops, not necessarily condos, but the co-op board process requires you to pretty much undress yourself, your life in front of them from a financial scrutiny perspective. So I think all of this feeds into an emotion that that if you don't set the expectation rights as, uh, right, as Louise said, you're in for a rocky road because out of New York City, I think everything is pretty standard and pretty smooth. But here, everything just gets wonky. And I've been doing transactions for 15 years, and it just never seems to get easier. Once in a blue moon, you get an easy, wow, how did that happen, transaction. But for the most part, it's crazy. So, Louise, they want to take $19 million to close in September? Possibly. It's a conversation. Okay. Um, so wait a minute. So they're on the market now. You just took the listing now, but they want to hold off a closing until January of 18. And uh, yesterday was my first day of appointments, and I have back-to-back appointments today. And the truth is that nobody has blinked because the time value of money on that particular transaction, it's not been on the market for 30 years. Those Anybody who wants to buy that is going to make it their own. It's a 4,200-square-foot amazing penthouse in one of the top Park Avenue buildings. So... Really, my owner and what I got from my owner was like, look, we have to give them something for that. We have to give them the time value of money to probe and be in multiple times right. and accommodate them so that it it's a no-brainer. So No, because you're listing it to sell at the end of the year, and that's probably to answer your question, you know, the amount of time it would take to sell a co-op like that. Well, I was well, just going to say, me, you're, you're six months did, into it, out, out rather, so you probably I mean, that have price the luxury point. of time. So yes. in preparation, since I have this uh, best and final bid today. I I put down so it's May first. You have an offer. It gets accepted. You know, it's no more than two or three days in negotiations. If you really want an apartment, and uh, you know, identifying specifically that five business days to sign the contract. If there's financing, you've got to put forty five days into that, and you cannot put a board package in until that financial contingency is in. So fast forward. I now have my board package being submitted on June twentieth. Board needs two weeks to consider it. Then you may, if you're lucky, get a board interview by August 20th. You get approvals four days later. It's August 24th. You're going to close sometime in September. And then you've got renovations and construction that you want to do. You have to assume that that's going to have its own process. So managing people, because I sell a lot of apartments that people go to contract in and I have to do, I have to figure out that time management of now I need to do the renovations. Do I have to live through the renovations or do I move? How do you do this? Do they have summer rules? 
most most buildings are moving away from that yeah. because it's really detrimental to the values. Thank God. Right. Yes, there used to be such a problem with summer rules, my goodness. Uh, and just so everybody out there knows what summer rules are, you're not allowed to do construction from a period of time, you know, probably May or June through September or after Labor Day. And it really backs up a move into a building. Um, so does it differ at all? By the way, guys, before we go to break, does it differ at all for condominiums? I mean, condominiums, there Absolutely. is still a process, but not as lengthy, I think. Offering plans in the condominium world um, are mandated and dictate the board of directors that they have to, they have 20 days to either waive the first right of refusal or not. And if they don't, they have to buy it. I have had two incidences in 27 years where the board exercised their waiver and moved a contract of sale, assigned the contract to another board member or owner in the building. Wow. I, yeah, I that's a little shady. It but is. It's happened to me once, happen? too. Really it's track. happened to me once as well, yes. It's only happened to me twice in 27 years. Yeah. Sorry for the sidebar. No, um, no, no, but that's listeners. very interesting. I want to ask just quickly before we go to break also. So how does that happen? I mean, why does that happen? Because the governance of a condominium allowed, allows the waiver, the, the board to exercise their waiver of first right of refusal. And when they exercise the right to the refusal, they have to purchase they, they protect the owner, and the owner has to be whole at the price of the contract, but they can choose to do that. So in a condominium, if you lowball and you have a hardship owner, the owner could put a deal together way below market because they're trying to dump it, and the board can say, uh-uh, we're going to take that deal. That, Co-ops, will, they do yeah. the same thing by turning down a board approval process. Right. I had that actually happen where the the condo board purchased the apartment because the seller tried to sell it on her own, lowballed it to get out, and they said, absolutely not happening. All right, we have to go to break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Aliens with Gas, we are the extraterrestrial rock show airing every Saturday afternoon on the voiceamerica.com variety channel. <laughs> Whatever happens out and about, it kind of dictates our conversation. For sure. And we like to tie in a little bit of the past and obviously keep it real current. And real current was a couple nights ago right here in Phoenix. A phenomenon happened. On Thursday night. Phenomenon. 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 All right, never mind. <laughs> That's every Saturday right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back Sip to the show. All right, yeah. as I'm sipping my tea, we are back with Parul Prambat from Compass, Sean McPeak from Compass, and Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead. All right, so a buyer says, I'm thinking. A new family. A new family. <laughs> there you go. A buyer says, I'm thinking about buying a co-op, but unclear on some of the financial responsibilities. If there's a problem in my apartment, for example, a leak, electrical issues, et cetera, what am I responsible for as the owner of that apartment for paying? Uh, or will the co-op pay for it? So there's something that happens in my apartment. It's a leak, a toilet clogs or whatever, something within the walls of that unit. Who's responsible to pick up the cost, the building or the co-op owner? You know, interestingly, co-ops and condos operate virtually the same around those responsibilities. Um, The difference is that in your co-op, it's actually governed by, it's governed by your proprietary lease, which is sort of, you know, when you buy a condo, you're buying the brick and mortar and the the deed. And when you're buying the co-op, you're buying shares of a company. And within that shares of companies, there are proprietary lease that govern what happens. And virtually what you have is the responsibility of the inside of the walls are your owners and the outside is the condominium or the co-op. However, things like windows, if you have a 1926 building and they replaced all the windows, they once once if that was a project that was initiated by the board, sometimes it becomes the responsibility of the building to maintain the 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 bearings and the springs, etc. Screens. In my situation, my building uh, my building is responsible for that limited common element, but I replaced three of my windows, and then they changed the governance that I was going to be completely myself, and any future owner would be responsible for those windows. So I think you have to be informed by your attorney and make sure that those things are clear now quick question because you are literally the 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 star of co-ops and condos but but so you are now responsible for those new windows that you replaced in your co-op building so what happens if you sell that co-op someday I have, that that? You have to disclose, I have to that. disclose okay. that and I'm very clear and I, my mm-hmm. attorney when I was negotiating with my building helped me with language so that it is details that I'll make that I have to disclose and represent that and it's so far not been an issue. Interestingly enough, um, I think that buildings need to take a look at this and you have to vote to change governance. You have to have 66% of the voting but um, there was recently a penthouse at 4 East 72nd Street on the market. Oh, great building. For, for, for $14 million, which if they, but the building mandates that the, whoever the new buyer is has to replace the parapet, the roof. Oh my gosh, 4,000 square foot building. That's a $2.5 million project. Wow. And that's before they even do their own apartment. That's unusual. That's, that's outrageous, actually, because I was about to yeah. mention uh, 158. 158 Mercer, the penthouse on that is on the market at $38 million. Interestingly, in that building, that penthouse not only pays their condo fees, like as if everything was were to get maintained in their apartment the way normally condos do. 
However, it's like a townhouse in the sky and they actually have to pay for their own maintenance, mechanicals and whatnot. And I mean, at that price point, you know, I don't think most owners care. However, that being said, I don't agree with that, (laughs) you know, because, well, the contract is like $5,000 a year to, to maintain everything and then anything that needs to be replaced, you know, so as long as there's people who can handle that and it doesn't become them having to get their hands dirty, um, at least, you know, for, for me, I've been fortunate enough to have buyers who were kind of like, well, okay, you know what, if I want this, I want this, but it's still kind of outrageous that you're double paying, if you will. It, it's out of control. And one of the things people ask me all the time is how often do maintenance charges, uh, maintenance fees per month increase? Now, obviously they increase mostly every year and certainly the cost at, of living at, that's right. and inflation. And, and if there is a special assessment because they need to do building work like repair roofs or, or mechanicals in the building or, you know, renovate lobbies, whatever, that's all aside from a regular monthly maintenance increase. So for all the, I built or converted about probably 30 buildings and I, you know, feel very strongly, um, even to the point that I've paid my own flip tax, doggone mm-hmm. it. But mm-hmm. I believe that every building should be structured with a source of income because um, while assessments can Agreed. go into your capital improvements and your cost basis, and those are great things, um, the building the buildings should should be thinking forward. And boards that operate with a source of income, I mean, we have a 2% flip tax in my own building, and it was a hard sell for the mentality. 2% flip for the buyer or the seller? It's in, in my advising, it, for the advising that I'm making for many boards today is it should be a negotiable point. Right. The market, absolutely. The right. market should I, bear I agree it. with so that. I, I agree. I agree. I agree with that. Um, um, so, but when you're dealing with Sutton or Fifth Avenue, some of those buildings mandate that it's paid by the purchaser. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I, I kind of think that's none of their business. You can still negotiate that, though. Yeah. I mean, well, as long well, as yeah. the building gets the 2%, you know, whatever the percentage is, ultimately you can negotiate that. Yeah. But um, that becomes a sticky point oftentimes because both sides can dig in, and I've had this happen, and mm-hmm. you're at a stalemate over nothing else but the flip tax, and it, it can become you know problematic. Oftentimes, most times, it eventually gets worked out, but it could be. I think the market can sometimes dictate those, uh, you know, those extra charges. Like, let's say you have a $500 fee to you know, do a lease in a building, you know, even if it's a condo, like a 200 chambers, there's like a, you know, a move in, move out, mm-hmm. non-refundable, and that's how they generate income. But if those are the, awesome, I'm unbelievable, horrible, those fees, yeah, non-refundable. Right. But that only works in a building as hot as, you know, 200 chambers or something in that market, you know, it varies by neighborhood, because sometimes people just really don't have the, uh, you know, the stomach to, to take on those fees. Well, I think that, you know, uh, you take a look at related buildings um, that they manage and, and where their conversions, like the Lucida, one of, I mean, mm-hmm. that was an Extel project. That was Extel, um, yeah. And, you know, it's $1,000 for an application fee. It's move in, move out. Um, but, you know, it is something that, again, if you want the luxury of having an asset that is managed by somebody else, I, I think you have to change your mentality around the privilege of having an asset that is going, it's just, it's the cost of doing business. So I, I'm conflicted a little bit about it, but I also think that if it's, you know, an incredibly well-run building, then, then you're lucky to have you're lucky to live there. I do think that if it's the building that is making the money, 
there is an argument, obviously, because there's an income and then whoever is buying into the building also gets to profit and benefit from that for their longevity of living in the building. However, it is when it is management fees that are outrageous for like a condo fee or a rental application. That is when I find it to be really problematic Mm -hmm. because not only that, I mean, I, I should not admit this in public, but just to test it out, I have done this three times in my career where when I was putting in a condo or a rental application that had a huge fee and they made the application look like it was a co-op application just to justify what they're charging. I deliberately left out just little pieces of information that anybody who was actually reading that would have caught if it was important, like no co-op would have let it go by. And in these buildings, they take those 20 days that they have to get you your waiver of, of first refusal. And nobody has ever questioned any of those omissions that I had the materials in front of me. But I was like, let me just see if anybody's even reading this. And the answer is no. It's a few trees that are carried for these things. It is unbelievable. Uh, Absolutely. All right. So moving on, buying into the New York City real estate market may be one of the biggest investments you will ever make. As I said at the top of the show, think of another time you might drop a few hundred thousand or millions of dollars on the table for an apartment and then have to get a loan on top of that for renovations or whatever else for another couple hundred thousand dollars more. You can't. It's one of the biggest investments I think we make in our lifetime in our homes. And in New York City, the numbers are exaggerated, of course. As with any investment, you will want to approach New York City real estate with precision and expertise. That's where a buyer's broker comes in. Many people do not realize that the broker who represents a listing represents the owner of that listing or that property, not the would-be buyer. So when a buyer comes unrepresented, this creates a dual agency situation, which is not ideal. So let's, I mean, we're all buyer's agents, we're all listing agents, so let's talk about the benefits and why it's smart for buyers out there, first time or not, to work with buyers. In the world of StreetEZ and Trulia and all the information that is out there, um, I feel that it is such, I mean, it's a great service, but it's also a massive disservice to the buyer because I think that the end consumer believes that because they can go on the internet and find information that they can do this on their own and even potentially save some money by not having a buyer's broker. Absolutely. However, I think the perception is that, wait a minute, there's no broker and you should negotiate your commission. Right. However, you're doing both sides of the work. Right? Yes. You're making sure the comps appraise. You're making sure that they... And, and, and at the end of the day, you can't and, always reduce your commission. And not you know? only that, but I feel like that information is without context. So really, the buyers are doing first and foremost themselves a massive disservice. Um, I have had people walk into so many different scenarios where I have in- actually said to them, look... You know, here's just my two cents. Like I, I, when I'm representing the seller and people have walked in without a broker, they're first time buyers and they're utterly clueless. I've actually suggested to them, I said, you know, you don't have to use me, but please use somebody because you need somebody to navigate you through the process. And the analogy I use is just because I can look up an open heart surgery on YouTube doesn't mean I'm going to try to perform it on myself. If I've got a heart problem, I'm going to go to a doctor. So in the same way, I really believe that that is so necessary. Necessary and people need cool. to understand. That, that, I know, right? That analogy would get my <laughs> attention, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I usually <laughs> tell people, I'm, yeah. I'm saying, would you rather a two per a two or three percent discount or ninety seven percent mistake? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's think, really what you're yeah. risking. You're not saving money. You're probably going to walk into a buzzsaw. Although, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in, in preparing, you know, you talk about this being okay. You're entering into a dual agency situation. Quite frankly, my perception 
is that under no circumstance do I not represent my seller. Yes. So so Correct. I say to the buyer very clearly, mm-hmm. and I have three circumstances, I'm in negotiations now, I know that, you know, the subtleties of and the the deciphering of the data and the access that we have with Street Easy is is amazing and wonderful, but this but it's really the subtleties of the market and understanding history and how to interpret it to help advise somebody. And what I find is even the most sophisticated buyers, sellers, not first-time people, and also developers sometimes are at a loss of truly understanding our industry. And it shocks me every time. For example, mistake number one, they say, oh, great. Oh, you work for Compass. I know so-and-so at Compass too. That's great. I love you guys. I'll work with you. And I say thank you very much for whoever represented me so well by being part of Compass. But at the same time, you know, you're hiring that individual broker. And a lot of times people don't fully understand that. Even developers have been around for decades. Um, Then the second part piece of it is also I feel like there's so much misinformation around what people believe that the different services are, whether you work for Halstead or Compass or Core, and what it is that we can and cannot provide. And some of this stuff is just surprising to me that even in today's world where we have so much information available on the internet that people at least don't have clarity of what choices they're making in the first place. I mean, I, I, I try to make a value equivalency, you know, depending on, you know, the the nature of the client or, you know, what their profession might be. So if it's a finance person, I'll tell them, you know, there's no insider trading in real estate. You know, there's a lot of questions you may not be asking that um, you should be asking. And, you know, Street Easy is not Amazon.com. There's no returns. Uh, there's no five-star that reviews. So yeah. you better be careful because you're about to spend a couple million dollars. Yeah. All right, we have to leave it there. We're going to break. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Sean McPeak, 
<clears throat> from Compass, Perul Brumbat from Compass, and Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead. So the question is, you want a washer and dryer? Well, welcome to New York. If you grew up in a different part of the country where single-family homes have washers and dryers and even entire laundry rooms in their basements, getting laundry into your apartment unit in the city is going to seem complicated. To make uh, the thought process easier, discuss why you can't always have a washer or dryer in your apartment. So what what is so complicated about getting washers and dryers in existing buildings or units in buildings that don't have them? I mean, obviously, sometimes, especially in new developments, there are lots of washer dryers available, but I live in a pre-war and my building says no. It's the, I mean, it's a plumbing issue for some of them. Um, uh, other boards are, you know, policymakers in the building rather not even open up the can of worms, you know, that comes with the... Putting it, a washer dryer in a hundred-year-old building? You know, it really is a can of worms. And, it, and and Louise and I have the same conversation all the time about wet or dry, dry or wet, whatever. And I've seen people try to put washer dryers into pre-wars where they're just wanting to put it into, you know, these all-in-one things. Oh, well, as long as I can plug it in at work, well, wait a minute, you can't put it in a closet that's not over something down there that's wet. So well, it's I, a big story. I think the reality of it is, is that the technology is there. We have... Um, I am consulting three boards right now that I am talking to them about their policy of not allowing through the wall air conditioning and mm. not allowing washer and dryers. Those decisions have been based on old data. Correct. And and implementing in a pre-war building that every time somebody does a renovations that they they have to replace every branch of plumbing is a mandate. Um there is no reason why with sensory shutoff valves, with neoprene, which is something that, you know, instead of a green board um, sheetrock, you can do the green board. We mandate green board sheetrock and a full wall-to-wall ceiling to floor of neoprene, which is neoprene is kind of like what wetsuit material mm-hmm. is, if you will. It's a plastic and it's expensive, um, but why wouldn't you? Right. I mean, yeah. I moved my kitchen from to where my bedroom and a and a, ma- a my master bathroom was, and my building was like, uh, how do I feel about that? And I was like, look, I the, the technology is here. That's a it big really one. is. I mean, co-ops. I feel like they are stuck in a different it's time period. Their values. It really is. And in in these days, I don't think co-ops can afford that anymore because there is severe competition from condos. And and I think that there's just a lot of, I mean, it's it's wonderful to hear, Louise, that there are people like you who are really affecting change um, because it's important. But I think she's right. I think, you know, it's all based on, you know, old antiquated rules it that is. nobody really has taken on through the years because, oh, it's too difficult. And people oh, have such a habit of following old patterns instead of thinking of what is current now and solutions like people seem to focus on the problems instead of focusing on the solutions well, I mean, to listen, me you know? I t- just it took me eight years to educate my building on on the by the way i i actually got an advisor at landmarks to talk about you know what landmarks wants what does landmark wants so very good question the truth of the matter is is that air conditioners that sit in the middle of um, and we I know we're on washer and dryers, but sorry, I'll just have a have a moment. Bear go, with go, me. Go, go, with go, air go. conditioners, that, I hear you. <laughs> but, but it's really but the with truth all of it is it's sitting on the lentils dripping, 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 and that moisture penetrates through the brick and the mortimer and, and bulks the steel over time because it gets rusted. And the truth of the matter is is that we did a master plan and we 
worked with landmarks to preserve the gargoyles and the and the very extensive ornate details and we were able to get through the wall air conditioning or central air for almost every owner and um there were like three floors that were affected that's a big one and that it took us eight years Mm -hmm. but you know what we did it Mm -hmm. and then secondly the idea of 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 the attitude you know when you when somebody invests in an asset and i have now created my apartment is now worth two and a half times meaning one plus one because i did i duplexed and my one plus one is now Mm 2.75 because you know, I, I utilize today's technology to cre- create how we live today. Mm-hmm. And the boards have to get behind this. I think a lot of the problem, and I'm sure you'll agree, is a lot of the board members are still the older folks in the building that have had these co-ops since, you know, they've co-opted in some cases. And they just aren't in step with today's times and technology, mm-hmm. as you keep and pointing out. You know what I find and it's very... it's take people like you to keep pushing that. It's a matter until, of education. What I do find event. very interesting, though, is most millennials, and by millennials, I mean people under like 35, like 36. <laughs> I wish. Um, but, uh, you know, so millennials these days um, are really, really wanting to get involved with their boards. Um, anybody who's looking to buy in a co-op, which is few and far in between, at least in my business, but uh, those guys are absolutely, they're like, well, I will only join if I know that within X number of years I can be part of the board and effect change. To that point, so I, I really love, that find that to be quite exciting. Uh, to that point, I would love to see more millennials buying co-ops because I think they can and will make a yeah. change, a significant change. But unfortunately, I think most millennials today migrate more towards the condo yeah. because it makes more sense it's flexible whatever but i think they would right. make an enormous amount of change and you know people co-ops. live so much more of a transient life these yeah. days i mean most of us don't know i mean you know for those of us in this room real estate binds us sort of to new york a bit but that being said most of my friends on average move every three four years potentially cities Correct. countries etc so they need that flexibility more and more that co-ops don't provide however the larger thing is it's just that it's generation just does not want to deal with with regulation and and the old like old rundown you know their idea of a co-op is is something that is limiting from a personal freedom perspective and also just something that's old and dingy and they just run from that also i think baby boomer parents helping buy children apartments is a big piece of the equation as well 100 um i was just gonna add to that going back to the buyers brokers and our you know opportunity of really not just being a salesperson but really truly educating i have a brazilian family who have four children and they've only they've only had a mentality to buy in a condo and i'm like but but the difference is is that the right co-op can give you so much more and and so yeah. I have, I'm, te- I'm teaching them the right questions to ask. Mm-hmm. So buildings that allow two to three years of subletting in a five-year period, if you go to London, then you can sublet it. Mm-hmm. Yes, is it contingent mm-hmm. on, on board approval? Well, that's why you have me. Of course. And so I think that that's something that, that, that I will go back to, whether it's mm-hmm. washer and dryers, um, through the wall air conditioning, your agent needs to be knowledgeable in your selection that you make to work with somebody, 
and have the insight to what those buildings requirements are and and whether they can manipulate them. Yep. And I don't mean manipulate in a negative way. I mean no, no, no. work with the building. Correct. Yeah. All right, so moving on, very good points. Moving on. In the midst of a record 43 billion dollar construction boom, New York City has officially declared the most expensive construction market in the world, construction market in the world. In a survey released on Tuesday last week by the London-based construction services firm Turner and Townsend, New York City has overtaken Zurich, Switzerland as the most expensive place to build uh, residential buildings, outpacing other pricey markets such as London, Hong Kong, and Tokyo. The report also notes that the record construction boom has led to a shortage of both materials and labor further pushing up costs. So, you know, my question to all of us is, so who absorbs these costs? Because, of course, the construction costs get built into the purchase prices or the selling prices. Who's absorbing these costs? It's going to be the buyers. The buyers is going to do it. And and let me just talk a little bit about some of the projects that are happening that have gotten us to this opportunity. We talk about Hudson Yards. We've talked about it on the show. 17 million square feet. Mm -hmm. Roosevelt Island, you have um, Cornell, Cornell Technology. They're doing two, two million square feet. You have Essex Crossing in the mm-hmm. Lower East Side at Delancey, which is another two million square feet. At least. And, and then you take a look at, at um, Mott Haven. What's happening in South, the, you know, South Bronx? So I've, been saying for, for, <laughs> I've been yeah. saying for two years, mm-hmm. three years, that's the next pop. It's going down in the boogie down. <laughs> yeah, amen. And, and so. Very much so. The. the What's happened is is that this this demand has given birth to non-union um, union construction companies giving birth to non-union arms mm-hmm. where they go after certain kind of business because we have so much infrastructure happening, so much institutional uh, building happening on top of residential and commercial. So um, I think it's going to be the cost of acquisitions are what they are and the cost of building you can do a small townhouse for 300 350 dollars a foot but big big construction in difficult i I just got a i just got a pro forma um some projections on friday night for a building on park avenue and um acquisition plus construction it was uh almost 2300 dollars a square foot Wow, just to just to open the doors. Uh, so I mean, that's well. Here's the biggest thing. I feel, I feel that, that don't do that deal. Yeah, exactly. Don't right. do that don't deal. Don't do that deal. <laughs> but not only right, so not because, only that because, though, because to translate that to a to a, to a selling price, you're talking at least four thousand dollars a five. Yeah. yeah, they're saying you know thirty five uh, to four thousand. No, thirty five is not going to work. No. Yeah. Which is what I was going to say to Louise's point. You know, over time, it has to be the buyer who absorbs this. Otherwise, simply put, you can't. You know, you cannot create a building. Or there becomes a shift, and someone and someone breaks, and someone loses money. You know, because I think the land acquisition costs are out of control, which is where the issue is at the moment, for e- sure. Even though that's come down a bit from from 2016 and 2015, developers who are purchasing now are seeing a little bit of an ease of, of price selling price. Also, a lot of the developments we're out. seeing these land that the land was bought. A long, long right. time ago, 2012. I mean, well, some of it, yeah, yes. some of it was as as early as, as or as long ago you look as at 2012. Yeah. Project at 520 Park, they've owned yeah. that for 18 yes, years. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what and I was thinking. They of. waited. 15th Central Park West, yeah. they owned for many years before they actually built and, and broke ground. So that's the that's the advantage, and also right. with the 421A tax abatements that's here in New York changer. City, yeah. if they purchased and if they broke ground before. 
a certain point in 2015, I can't remember when it was, they're still able to, the building I'm in now, we have a 421A for 10 years because they did it before the expiration. And what I was going to say is that's exactly it. So I think that developers who have the capacity to purchase and hold are the ones who are going to be able to actually purchase land parcels, but they're going to have to hold on to them until the timing is right and the market is ready for those these price points. I feel like that's actually the smartest way to go about this because I don't foresee land prices in prime areas necessarily going down in the next three or five years or whatever. They falter, but I mean, the delta is, there's going to be deltas, but I think the trajectory is going to remain the same. I mean, I just don't really see it much higher than that. Well, I know. Well, you know what, but that's what everybody said at 800 and at 1200 and at 1500 and 2500 a square foot, right? Now you have all this inventory on the market that's not moving. That's that's at the moment, right? That's at the moment. All right, let's keep it there. We have to go to break. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Sean McPeak from Compass, Louise Phillips Forbes from Halstead, and Parul Bronbat from Compass. And moving on to our next topic. This was an interesting story I saw in the New York Times over the weekend. For much of last year, a buyer, a particular buyer, was looking to buy a bigger bigger apartment. This, according to the Times, as I said, he has been in the same two-bedroom home for 17 years and hoped to upgrade to a place with a guest room, a home office, and a workshop for all his toys. So this year, the buyer has a new plan because he couldn't seem to find anything that he could afford or that made sense last year. He stopped looking and embarked on an ambitious renovation project instead that will uh, begin with a new kitchen and end with a workshop for all of his man toys. So going from looking for a larger apartment for X reason and for all of the things he needs in an apartment to, well, wait a minute, I can't seem to find anything, so I'm going to uh, keep this. 
and make it more livable, potentially by renovating. How much of this are we seeing today after a very tough market in 2016? Because the 2016 market was really pretty tough. I personally can't speak to that in grave detail in terms of personal experience. I feel that um, there are frustrated buyers out there who feel like they can't upgrade and find what it is that they're looking for at a price that is affordable. Uh, But I think that this is an excellent solution that somebody is at least entertained. I think that I'm encouraging individuals to secure and make a life change for the next 10 years. So people I sold apartments to, um, we revisit, we revisit, and, you know, we, we are definitely, we have been sort of awaiting the turning point for the interest rate buy. And so my, my friends that have three children and they are living in the classic six where they have a child in the maids' room and they have a boy-girl sharing, you know, now is the time to take that trade where you have a million dollars worth of equity growth in the deal that you did in 2012 and you upgrade and stretch every bit that you can to secure and buy buy mm-hmm. the debt. I have an interesting one. Before, yeah. before you say that, though, isn't it amazing how from, say, 2012 to your example, Louise, 2012 to 2017, a five-year period, in, in a million-dollar mm-hmm. increase in value or uh, in um, profit in that particular mm-hmm. apartment? And that's not unusual. I mean, this is what well, goes I mean, on. But, but we all know that real estate, particularly New York real estate, is the greatest tool for building wealth. 100%, Absolutely. 100%. Sean, Absolutely. I'm sorry. I cut you off. Uh, in terms of the renovations and keeping the apartment, I, I just uh, staged uh, an apartment in Brooklyn Heights. And I did a lot of it myself with my team. You know, I have a painter and everything. But, you know, I do a lot of staging myself these days. And... Uh, Full yeah. service. Uh-huh. That's right. Exactly. That's right. Um, so the guy ended up deciding to keep the apartment. Because it was so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm not going to find anything. He said, I'm not going to find anything this nice that in downtown Manhattan. That is hilarious. Manhattan. I'm like, you can't have You're like, that, I just that staged is actually it. Yeah. Like, you know, it saved helped. you like six grand. Yeah. <laughs> if I wow. have uh, organized individuals and, and helped them, you know, I have provided personal organizers from mm-hmm. 175 bucks an hour to... $40 an hour and they would dedicate three and four weekends where they purge and donate. You can and hire me. I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know what? An hour, they, you got it. <laughs> they, they literally turn around and they're like, oh my God, I love my home. And instead of being frustrated and disappointed, I have taken a, a, the high road mm-hmm. of being of service and saying, you know what? You're going to call me when the right time is there. Right. And, exactly, and, and that will. attitude is—I'm telling you—that guy that mm-hmm. happened to me twice in the last probably six months, mm-hmm. and they referred me probably between the two of them five individuals. Yeah, there's like there's like yes. a newfound loyalty. There absolutely is. Like wow, you're not just. But what's always interesting yeah. to me is I always say that too. I was like the the guilty referral it's more, is it's more such than just sales an amazing referral. It's, it's, it's usually it's usually the it best really referrals. is. It's I the know. best referral. But it's always amazing to me how these people sometimes think because it only happened to me once. But you know. Why don't they think about potentially stager or, or de- decorator or whatever? They just don't have the vision. They don't have the they vision. They just don't have the vision, that's you a, know? That's really what it comes. Very simple, but yeah. that's really what it comes. It's, it's really so different when too. it's your own space, though, I got to say. I mean, even myself, you know. The, you can't really see it. No, I mean, you're, you're in there every day. You can, Sometimes you can get in a funk. I mean, whatever it is. I mean, so, you know, when it's, I go into someone's apartment, it's completely different than You have a fresh set of eyes. Why I mean, we you hire really consultants. Can't, you really can't put on, even yourself. I mean, like, you know, yeah. do I have the nicest apartment, like the best? 
best decorations I could possibly think of? No. Right. But the truth is, is that after a long period of time, you don't see the piles in the corner. Like, that's my right. to-do that's, list for right, last, right. since last summer. Right. Yes. Like, oh, I got to take that to my beach house in Montauk. It'll be fine. I don't even see it anymore. <laughs> yes. And um, and I think that... Uh, no, when you see it, you say, well, how did that get there? I exactly. don't even remember. You know, I was not... I was probably late on the game to the staging idea. And I never was... I was rarely impressed with staging companies that came in, especially when they use the rental furniture. Mm-hmm. It's just predictable and unimpressive and not and start. I agree. Right. And I, agree. I love it when I have the opportunity to work with somebody's stuff and then fill in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like the, I like the channel. I always like the channel, the owner, you know, the seller when I when I do this. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I think people these days also have a much more discriminating eye when it comes to design. Uh, you know, people have Pinterest and, you know, obviously Street Easy mm-hmm. and things. And, you know, the photos and the staging and everything is so much more important now than it was even in 2011. Oh, well, I agree. It's a totally I have, different game. Through all of my development projects, I have acquired, you know, and you all seen my apartments. Some, you know, some of those couches have been like moved literally 125 times. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, I now have probably eight to ten apartments full of furniture that I move in for owners, for developer. Absolutely. And it's the time value of money is amazing on that. It really Mm -hmm. is. Right. Let's move on. Um, With so many high-end buyers interested in owning a classic New York City townhome without sacrificing on luxury amenities, more and more owners are renovating the historic properties to maintain their stately facades, but completely modernizing the interior. So they're keeping the outside kind of looking the way they'd always look, but they're they're making the inside more modern. Recently, a five-story, $14.79 million, 1875 townhouse on the Upper East Side is a prime example. The house outside with a classic facade that has been renovated in line with historic preservation specifications. Inside, however, it's completely 2017 with an elevator, HVAC, climate control, Sonos, uh, music system, built-in security, on and on and on. So my question is, does it really keep the value of the home because these townhomes price-wise are extraordinarily high these days does it keep the value of the home by making the inside 2017 and the outside 1875 Listen, or do people coming to buy these houses want, want to the see the inside right. I think that it depends on the location and the block and the house itself but I still and I've always said for decades that Townhomes, which only represent 1% of the entire market, mm-hmm. one to three families, it's 10,800 of them, so they're not a lot, um, Have all, are still today undervalue and the, 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 the least um, uh, sort of surge in values that we've seen across the board. Um, with technology and construction, you know, the, the hardest thing about a townhouse is the light. And when indi- when individuals are light sensitive, being able to have the technology to create a curtain wall in the back, which allows so much more light, I think has been a game changer for people to consider townhomes. Um, I have 62 East 82nd Street, 63 East 82nd Street, which is 18.85, and that's a 9,100 square foot home. How Very what big. could you buy on an apartment level at that? 
that square yeah. footage. Not and my, my favorite thing that I've ever sold in my whole entire career is um, 727 Washington Street. It's a townhouse in the West Village that is 34 feet wide and has a Greek Revival landmarked facade. But then the previous owner actually created an, a secondary inter- internal facade that is all glass and then has a retractable roof on the second floor. So the whole entire townhouse becomes in indoor outdoor and that that is also about 9,000 square feet interior space plus a basement Um, this place is just so unbelievably gorgeous and so yes creating that modern feel where there's extra specifically light and air which is the biggest deterrent I think for anybody who really wants a townhouse and is okay with the maintenance and whatnot it's the light and the narrowness of a lot of the layouts that that deters people from townhouses and um, on this specific one you know being 34 feet wide it gives you sort of best of all worlds it's pretty amazing I think that when you're saying location um, makes a difference with these for for the interiors Mm -hmm. Uh, you know I think a downtown buyer is going to look past the fact that someone may have totally modernized it, take out the crown moldings maybe a staircase or something like that whereas someone on the Upper East Side uh, may gravitate towards you know those kind of pre-war details and more the restorative and what I find is the interesting balance tends to be that the aesthetic still has some of the you know like whether if there was a tin roof in there or some exposed brick in there or or original fireplaces and that those are are preserved but then it's more about the technology and the you know the airflow and the light and and air and skylights and glass facades unfortunately we have to leave it there I am out of time thank Thanks for being with us this this week. Thank you to my panel. As always, be kind to one another. We will be back next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Oh, 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 oh,